you've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Romans. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there is one in the pew in front of you, or many of you probably have apps that you can open. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We are starting a new series today that's going to be a very short series. Uh, In fact, it's barely a series. It's two weeks, this week and next week, and we're going to be talking about what it means to be a follower. Now, part of that is because we have in our um, purpose statement, our mission statement, that comes directly, if you can see it on the wall out there, we talk about it a lot, is that we exist to glorify God by leading people to become passionately devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about not... Not, we're not going to give to everything we can, but we're going to talk about specifically a couple of characteristics that are part of being followers of Jesus Christ. And we also just mentioned that we are on the edge of summer, and summer starts officially. Kids are out of school, and uh, Memorial Day kind of kicks that off, even though the, the official calendar is until the middle of June. We are in summer full force here at the church, and that means this Wednesday night we actually don't have... Um, much going on around there. Youth have a game night, but won't be adult Bible study or kids. We'll be getting some of the church ready for Vacation Bible School next Sunday when you arrive. It'll be a decorated church for Vacation Bible School, twists and turns, and we are very excited about that. If you are here and you have a child that is coming to Vacation Bible School um, that will be here for that week, we need you to go ahead and register them online if possible. That helps us get all those records kind of together and so it's not a mad scramble on day one. Um, there is, as the we end the service, there's a scroll of things that will come up, and on there will be a quick little link that you can use. Uh, in order to register them, that would really help us out. But be praying for Vacation Bible School. Every year we have kids come from other churches. We have kids come from the community that are not part of a church. And it gives us an opportunity to be able to help them to understand God's love for them. And so be praying for that. In the book of Romans, we're going to look today at just three verses. And let me just be real honest with you. There are some places in the Bible that it is hard to parachute in and fully understand what's going on because of everything that's happened beforehand in that book. There are some of those places in the Bible. Perhaps no book is it harder to understand just parachuting in for three verses than the book of Romans. Romans is a dense book. Preachers have famously preached for years verse by verse, through this book of the Bible. In fact, we're getting ready to start in the fall a four-year project through Romans. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that. (laughs) Uh, But there have been people that have gone four, five, ten years through the book of Romans. All right? It is a dense book. There's lots there. We are actually going to start a series on Romans, and we're going to divide it. Part of that is because I felt the Lord leading us to do that. And as I look back on my preaching of over 20 years, I realized I have never walked through the book of Romans in a sermon series, which is just kind of hard for me to believe. We've done Bible studies on some other things, but walk through it. So we're going to do that in the fall. But I want to give you just a glimpse of where we are, because you have to understand where we are to understand what's going on here. In fact, in just a couple of minutes, a little tease for you, we're going to to talk about a, a verse that has been misused a lot in history because we don't understand the context around which it is written. 
right? And so in Romans 13, we are on the back end of the book. There are 16 chapters to the book of Romans. And just the simplest way to break this book down is that the first 11 chapters is doctrine, truth, teaching. And the last half from chapter 12 on is, now what do you do with it? Uh, If you think of a, a sermon kind of thing, chapter 1 through 11 is exposition, explaining what's going on. It's illustration, examples of what that means, and then chapters 12 through 16 is application. So here's what goes on with it, all right? But what we understand in the first 11 chapters is that Paul spends 11 chapters telling us, explaining to us God's saving work for us in Christ Jesus. And the last few chapters, chapters 12 through 16, are what that saving work does in us. The first 11 chapters, and this is what God does for us. The last few chapters, the last five chapters, are what God does in us. That's an easy way to think of it. For us and in us. Chapters 1 through 11 is the love of God for us and what links he went to to make sure we understood that. Chapters 12 through 16 are the effects of that love on us as demonstrated to other people. Just a few verses, highlights that kind of demonstrate that. Romans 5, 8, you're going to recognize many of these verses if you've been around church. That Christ demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love. Romans eight thirty nine. there is nothing, and he lists all the things, height, depth, principality, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So you have that in those first 11 chapters. It is God's love explained to us. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, By those mercies, understanding what we know about the love of God, now let us present our bodies as living sacrifices. And he spends the next few chapters explaining what that looks like. And so today as we talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to focus on the theme of chapters 12 through 16 and specifically three verses in chapter 13 that give us some understanding about it. And that theme is that followers of Jesus are characterized by love. In chapter 12, by the way, just to kind of get us ready for chapter 13. These aren't the verses we're going to talk about. We're getting there. But in chapter 12, you see this repeated again and again and again. I just picked out some verses. Verse 9 in chapter 12 says, let your love be genuine or sincere. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor, love, care, compassion. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That's verse 13. So this is right after present your body as living sacrifice. How do we do that? Well, you have genuine love for your brothers. You take care of them. You show hospitality. It keeps going in chapter 12. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse them. So even your enemies repay no one. You don't know what the word no one means? No one, right? We pay no one evil for evil. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. You see this theme happening. It's love in action. That way you do that is through that. And I think we have one more verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So that's setting the scene in chapter 12. And then chapter 13 has a little bit of diversion that we'll come back to when we go through Romans. It may be a little bit before we get there. 
but we'll come back to it at some point, because chapter 13 at the beginning is the, perhaps the most famous passage in Scripture on how a Christian responds to government and how we are to fit into a place where government is. And so he kind of takes a break, if you will, from the love, love, love to, oh, and by the way, this is how you relate to government. A Christian's duty to the state is what it says in my title in my Bible. And in verse 10, he returns to this issue. And so it's almost like that in chapter 12, what he's doing is he's setting up, here's how you're going to live out your faith in Christ. He says, I'm urging you, I appeal to you in light of God's mercy to present yourself as living sacrifices. And the way you do that is you love each other and you love your enemies. And there would have been people in his day, it's fascinating for us to think about this day, this in today's day. There would have been people in his day that would have said that Paul was preaching a gospel without reference to the laws of God. Now, big word alert coming up, all right? They would have said he was antinomian, which means no law. That he was saying, do whatever you want to do, live whatever life you want to live. Don't worry about it, just love, man. And so Paul comes back in chapter 13, verse 10, I mean, verse 8 through 10, and he says this to them to remind us of what it's like and what it's responsibility and to understand how it fits in with the law. Verse 8 says this, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. And so Paul says, back to this understanding, followers of Jesus Christ are people that are characterized most by their love. Now, before we dive deeper into this, let me just give an observation. If followers of Jesus are to be known in our society and our culture primarily as people who demonstrate love, we are not succeeding. We are not flourishing in that. And what has been disappointing in the last several years as our society has become more caustic with one another, has become more confrontational and mean. We have not set the example in the counter to that. We have joined right in. So what is Paul talking about here in Romans chapter 13? The first thing he does is he takes an interesting concept and he reminds us of a fact that we have to hate at the front of our mind all the time. And that is that we are in debt to our neighbor. We are in debt to our neighbor. Look at verse 8 again. It says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Do not owe anyone anything. Now, let me just say this before we move on, because I think this is an important thing. I mentioned a minute ago a verse that has been misused because it's out of context. This is that verse. Because people will take this verse and see, say, see, never ever is debt okay. You're never supposed to owe anyone anything ever. The problem with that is he just spent the first part of this chapter right above here telling us that the question is not do we owe people something, it's that we repay what we owe. And I don't want to go too far down this, this rabbit trail. I, I, I had additionally about 15 minutes of this in the sermon, and by God's grace, I decided that's too much. And all God's people said, amen, right? That's because you didn't hear what I was going to do. You would really be robustly saying amen if you had. The, the Bible makes clear that lending and borrowing are things that happen in society. For instance, in Exodus chapter 22 and Deuteronomy 15, when they're establishing the laws of Israel, it makes very clear that it is okay to lend people things. It is okay for those that are in need to lend them something. Now, it does make restrictions about the amount of interest you can charge on somebody. And so let me just ask you this question, okay? This is one of those kind of argument kind of ways rhetorical devices, if it's okay to lend money to people that they will pay you back, even with some interest, then it has to be okay if you are in need to borrow if you intend to pay it back. Right? Right? Okay, are you here? I mean, I know it's cold, but you... Okay. And so there, there are rules about that in the Old Testament. And in Psalm thirty-seven twenty-six, it even says a righteous man freely lends and is blessed because he's helping those in need. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, it says that we are to give that those that ask and from him that would borrow of you, turn him not away. And so it speaks over and over again about the lender. And if there is a lender, there has to be a borrower. The point that is made just before this in Romans chapter Chapter 13 is that we should not borrow more than we can pay. And if we've borrowed, we need to pay back our obligations. That as believers, we can't say, well, I'm a believer now. All those debts that I had are gone because my life is new. That'd be nice, right? And so there are a couple of points for us in that. He's like, don't take out more money than you need. Don't take out more than you can pay back. Don't put yourself, and and the reason that I'm hesitant sometimes to even talk about this in this setting and how the Bible allows this is because in our society, most of the debt that is accrued by Americans every year is not for need, it's for want. And this has been abused in our country, but that doesn't mean the practice itself is bad. It is how we are using it. And so he tells them before this, he says, do, if you have debts, pay them. If you have to pay the government taxes, pay them. Don't try to skirt your taxes to beat the system. Pay them. And then he says... And when you understand that you don't have anything you owe to anybody else, understand this as well. You don't owe anybody anything except for the grace that God has given to your life means that we are a debtor to every single person on this planet because we have received more grace than we ever deserve or could get. And it is our job to show that to them. 
He basically says in this that we owe our neighbor as much as God gave us. I'll say that again. We owe our neighbor as much as God gave us. And here's the reality. You can't pay that off. So you're going to be continually in debt to your neighbor. Now, maybe this isn't true of Middle Tennessee. I grew up in West Tennessee, and so some things are different over there near the river. But there used to be this saying that would go around when people would get in arguments or things would happen. And people would say, I don't owe you anything. Biblically, that's not correct if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Every person that you come in contact with is a person created by God that God loves and that you owe grace and mercy and love. And what Paul is saying here is it's not even a burden. It's a gift to share with others what God has done for us. We should be excited beyond measure that in some small way we can demonstrate God's love for other people by the way that we love them. And to those that would come at Paul and say, see, there you go again, Paul, all this lovey-dovey stuff and no law, No truth. He then says, oh, and by the way, love fulfills God's commands. Now, Jesus, if you remember, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he gave two, right? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that all of the laws hang upon this. When Jesus was talking about that, he was specifically talking about, specifically talking about the Ten Commandments and the moral law that was given in the Old Testament. And he basically says, if you would love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and if you would love your neighbor as yourself, you would fulfill every single law that is written in those ten. Paul is more specifically talking here about our relationship with each other. And he says in the end of verse 8 and also in verse 9, Do not owe anything, anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law and the commandments... Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So therefore, it is the fulfillment of the law. Three times in two verses, I mean three verses, Paul says that love fulfills the law. Love satisfies the commands of God. Love is the law that comes into the life. And the point he is making is, if you would love your neighbor, you wouldn't have to worry about adultery or lying or taking advantage or hate. He just picks out these as representative, but he means the entire commandments. But he says, when he says, don't commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, Paul is writing after Jesus would have spoken. He is 
incorporating the teachings Jesus made about those when he says, not only is it do not commit adultery, it's also do not think of a woman like that in your heart. Not only is it do not murder, do not hate your brother in your heart. It's not only not stealing, it is this concept of being content with what you have. Anytime you sin against your neighbor, you are breaking your love for them. And you can say, well, I love my neighbor, but the truth is, it is demonstrated in your actions. What saddens me sometimes as a pastor is that I read account after account. And just to be honest, this has increased in the last two to three years. Not only of Christians attacking outsiders, people that are not in the faith, but Christians attacking each other. Churches splitting, congregations going after their leadership, leadership going after their congregation. Sunday school members talking about each other, people having conversations, gossiping behind their back about so-and-so and and what so-and-so is doing and why don't they do this and I think they need to do that and talking about people in ways that are not beneficial or loving or caring. And if we can't get that right with the brothers and sisters that are part of our family, how can we ever expect to get that right with those that are outside of it? Now, now to be honest, sometimes it's easier to love on somebody you don't know than it is to love on somebody you do. I know some of you are scared, amen, that a couple of you weren't, but, you know, you're afraid what people around you will think. You get to know somebody after a while. They know what buttons to push. They know how to say things. You have a history that even though you're supposed to forgive, you haven't. And you begin to find it difficult to love. And yet, that is the command of God on our lives. Not to hurt one another. Not to harm one another. Not to speak in a way that brings the reputation of your brother or sister down. But to lift up and to build up and to continually pour out your love for them because you are in debt to one another because of what Christ has done in you. So what does that love look like? Well, I think Paul is making a very intentional use of the word neighbor here because it is a quotation that comes from Jesus and the Old Testament that when Jesus used it, he was immediately challenged about what a neighbor should be. If you remember that story from over in the book of Luke chapter 10, When he says you're to love your neighbor as yourself, someone wanting to justify himself said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus starts into a parable. Does anybody remember what that parable is? It's the Good Samaritan. Maybe you know that story. Maybe you've heard that story. Most most people, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the parables of Jesus, if you Google search them, I did this this week with Good Samaritan, if you Google search a parable of Jesus, almost immediately it will give you the, the reference to where it's found and a synopsis of what the parable is. When you Google Good Samaritan, the parable of Jesus is like 12th on the list because it's the Good Samaritan Hospital, pet rescue, right? 
Because people have taken that name and they use it for that because the story resonates so much. You know the story, right? The guy's out traveling. He's beaten near death on the side of the road. The pastor walks by from the local community church, sees him lying there near dead, steps over to the other side of the road and walks on. Music minister comes down next. Worship leader. He sees him in the road, in the ditch, steps to the other side of the road and moves on. And then comes the Samaritan. In their day, the Jewish people that were gathered around Jesus, there was a definite racial, spiritual, religious divide where they would have maybe even hissed when the word Samaritan got used. And in their mind, they expected the Samaritan not to step to the other side of the road, but to kick the man while he was down. And yet the Samaritan walks up, tends his wounds, picks him up, carries him to a place to get care, and gives the man all the money he has to take care of him and says, if it costs more, I'll pay you when I get back. And then Jesus, by the way, doesn't say to the people that had asked that question, the religious leaders of the Jews, he doesn't say, now, be like the Samaritan. What he says is, now, to that man who was a neighbor. And what he's getting those people to say is, reluctantly, he doesn't even say Samaritan. He says, the man who stopped to help. And the point, he says, is that is what it means to be a neighbor. So what do we learn about that that Paul is referencing in Romans for how we ought to treat other people as followers of Jesus Christ? First of all, we learn that true love, Christian love, shows compassion. The the word compassion means to feel with, to, to sympathize with, to understand, to seek to know, it says again and again in the New Testament that Jesus, when he looked upon the crowds, he, he talked about them as sheep without a shepherd. He talked to the people being lost. He talked to them as hurting, of sickness, of both physically and emotionally and spiritually. And he looks at them and it says time and time again, Jesus had what? Compassion on them. He felt with them. He wanted to understand what was going on. Uh, One of my favorite books of all times is To Kill a Mockingbird. And in that book, uh, there's this famous quote, perhaps the most famous quote from that book, when Scout is wondering about some things with somebody in the neighborhood, I believe it's um, Boo Radley, one of the greatest names in literature history. And Atticus Finch, her dad, says, don't judge anyone until you've walked a mile in their moccasins. Until you have been where they are, understand them. Part of what we have to do as believers is we have to seek to understand. That doesn't mean condone. It doesn't mean to say everything is all equal in truth. We're going to get there in a minute. But it is to say, I want to hear your story. I want to understand you. I want to feel what God feels towards you, which is compassion. The second thing that we see from that parable and from this passage and from Romans is that love meets real needs. It's not enough to say, man, I love my neighbor. What have you done for them? Let me, I mean, I love my neighbor. Just feel good about them. You know what I mean? 
I haven't done anything to help them. I haven't provided anything for them. I haven't given them any help in any way. But man, I love them. True love meets the needs of those that are there. In a few weeks, we're going to send a team to Brazil. And then when we come back, we, we, I'm not going, unfortunately. When our group comes back, and they're going to share with us at the end of July about their trip to Brazil. And we're going to have numbers, and we're going to talk about lives that are changed forever that week. Who give their life to Jesus that week. And if you remember, a few years ago, we came back, and I, I, it was said over 200 people that had given their life to Jesus. And when you counted that up, it was more people gave their life to Jesus in one week in Brazil that we were part of the ministry than 10 years combined here at this church. I mean, that's awesome. But you know what's also awesome? They will meet the need in some way of 1,500 people that week whose understanding of what church is will be changed and there will be more people that will come to faith later because they stepped in and got their feet washed or the kids learned how to brush their teeth or they were given a pair of reading glasses or they were prayed over and they had needs in their lives met by people who were demonstrating God's love. Followers of Jesus meet the needs of others. True love also shares truth. Jesus was being loving to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day when he would confront them about certain issues because they weren't living or teaching, and specifically in their position where they are in charge of discipling God's people. They were not teaching or living lives of truth. According to God's word. The book of Romans has just established for 11 chapters what truth is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it says that love shares truth. Now, here's what I want you to understand real clearly. When I say love shares truth, there is an image that comes into all of, all of our minds of harsh and like, this is the word of God. This is truth. And yet, the whole point of Romans is that the truth of God is that he loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son for us. The truth that is being shared here is not harsh. It is love and grace and mercy available to all. See, we like to set this dynamic of love and truth, speak love and truth, and we're like, yeah, love is the, the, the squishy part of that, and truth is the hard, right? It's the force. But love and truth are together in Scripture more than we ever understand. Because the truth of God is that He loves us. Love shares truth. Love forgives be honest with this particular point doesn't have a particular little moment right here in the scripture doesn't have a particular moment in the Samaritan story that I could say here this is what happens with forgives I will tell you this as I was preparing for today and I was listing these things out and trying to stick the Samaritan story what that looks like in Romans and all of that I just felt the Lord saying put in there love forgives now that's obvious from Jesus' point of view, but for some reason, there's somebody in the room today that needs to hear there's somebody in your life you need to forgive. 
And that that act of forgiveness in your life may be the doorway that opens up their listening to and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ to change them forever. To be the one that shows what forgiveness can be in order that they understand who Jesus is. I mean, the parable that is one of the most profound in Scripture to me is when he tells the story of the man who was forgiven multi-millions and walks down the street and throws a guy in jail for a few bucks. Because how many times in my life have I held on to resentment or a grudge or haven't forgiven somebody when I have been forgiven more than I could ever pay back? And then the last one, what true love looks like, love sacrifices. In the story of the Good Samaritan that's referenced, I'm pretty sure in this love your neighbor as yourself. The point that he makes about the Samaritan being a neighbor to someone and loving them is that not only does he take upon himself the responsibility of this one and picking him up in the parable, but that he provides for him everything he has and then some. And he says, if he needs anything else, I'll pay it. He was willing to go to whatever lengths he needed to go to give in order to see people come to know the love of God. We're still working on our extravagant giving offering full numbers. Excited to be able to share that with you next week. One of the things I love about this offering in May that goes towards our kids and towards mission trip is that it is often given by people that will not step foot in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, that will not be in Panama City Beach, that will not be in Brazil. But you sacrifice here to give towards someone that will be. And when it comes to camps, your gift may directly impact somebody coming to know Jesus from our own church. Or your gift may directly impact someone in Brazil that you will never meet this side of heaven. Coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Part of being a pastor is that I I do funerals. One of the things that I almost always do at the grace of a funeral is I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where it says that then we will meet the Lord in the air and we will all be with the Lord together. Eugene Peterson in his message paraphrase of that says, and there will be a great big family reunion in the sky. I always talk about, if you've been at Gravesides with me, you hear me talk about that, how much I love family reunions, and now I am looking forward to the family reunion to end all family reunions. And we're going to see people that we have missed for years here on this earth. We're going to see people that we never got to meet from our own families that will be there. It will be an amazing thing. And the crowning jewel of all of that is that we'll be with Jesus. But you know what else I'm looking forward to with that? I'm looking forward to the people that have come into the kingdom of God through sacrificial giving of myself or the church that we have been a part of and getting to meet them for the first time 
in the presence of their Savior. Can you imagine how cool that's going to be? When's the last time you truly sacrificed? I'm not talking about did the financial calculations and figured out what you could give and how much, how much that leaves you on the top. I'm talking about when's the last time you just said, whatever I need to give, I'm going to give. And it is a gift. In order to meet someone's needs or to see people have an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. True love shows compassion. True love meets needs. True love shares truth. True love forgives. And true love sacrifices. Being a follower of Jesus means that we are characterized by unending love for our brothers and sisters and our neighbors. Who is our neighbor? It is anyone that God puts in our path. So my question for you today is, does love characterize your life? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray in this moment that your will would be done on earth in this place as it is in heaven, that your kingdom would come on earth in this place as it is in heaven. And that people's lives will be changed because of your love. And Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities this week to show love for you. To those of us that are brothers and sisters in this place, give us a chance to show love to one another. To those that are outside of this, Lord, give us a chance to show love to our neighbors. For the sake of your name and for the spread of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.